0: All right, EJ, I am pumped for today. I know you're pumped for today, too, as an upstate New York native. Are you a native, right? I mean, you grew up there. That counts. Sure. Haven't been there in a while, but it still counts.
1: Yeah. It's home, home turf, for sure. You
0: worked at a bagelry in Ithaca. That's, that's about as upstate <laughs> New York as it gets. Uh, we've been waiting to do the Bills episode for so long, man. We have a lot of Bills fans that follow this show, a lot of friends who are Bills fans. Shout out to uh, Rockpile Report, Drew and Chris, all them. I got my my of in 16 tonight, just for you boys, because I know you're going to be watching this uh, huge, huge episode today. I don't know. I, th- I just always love talking about teams that we know are legitimate Super Bowl contenders because uh, there's just so much energy in the comment section. All the fans are, are, are psyched. We're psyched. You know, we feel like we're talking about a team that has a legit chance at a ring here. Can't wait, man. Bills are awesome.
1: My uncle can take me to task for all my takes that he doesn't agree with. So <laughs> my entire dad's side of the family lives in Buffalo, has since before I was born. Uh, dad was born and raised there, aunts and uncles, all the cousins born and raised there. So uh, long history with the Bills and one of the most passionate fan bases in sports and really taught me about that as a kid, even before I was a football fan. Um, You know, if the Bills lost on Sunday, Monday in town sucked. (laughs) Like, I don't care if you were going to the bank or the bakery or whatever, everybody was just kind of glum. And it wasn't normally like that. Buffalo is a very friendly city. And you just got the idea that it had deep meaning for everybody in town and still does. And, you know, their recent run of success, their resurgence again to the top of the conference, to being a contender has re-energized that fan base but they never left that's the thing about bills fans even in the in the lowest of years that passion remains so it's a super fun team to talk about it's a great football town so i'm i'm equally excited to talk about the bills because this is a team that's loaded up and we're going to talk about all the moves that got them there
0: well as we do with every single show talking about every single team we start off with a little bit of a 2021 recap you know how we got here to set up the last six months or so of roster reconstruction or in the bills case roster reloading uh they didn't really need to rebuild at all it's basically just ah we're almost there get a get a couple <laughs> extra pieces um 2021 was both uh, exciting and, and disappointing at the same time because you saw the potential throughout the year and that they were an absolute threshing machine by the end of it and I think the ending to the year left a bad taste in a lot of Bills fans mouths because they know that with the flip of a coin it could have gone the complete opposite direction and they might have had a Super Bowl parade a few months back if that coin went another way I think there was a legitimate argument for that so uh, exciting season but also a little it's a little bit of a, a painful prick at the end there, but if there was ever a chance for them to, to now exceed that lofty mark and go all the way, this is probably the year. They did go at 11 and six in 2021, obviously won the division. Home record six and three, road record five and three, very solid both ends, um, which in the AFC East, at least going into this year, if they still go six and three at home, I'd say that's that's what you're shooting for. It's It's a tough conference, it's a tough division. I don't expect them to go you know, undefeated at home this year, but if they can at least get close to that, they'll be fine. Last five games, though, that was kind of the, the real difference maker for them, ending on a 4-1 and one run there to really position themselves well in the playoffs. I want to see them repeat that this year because when it comes to the AFC, at least over the last two decades, whoever has the better December – is really what matters with the Patriots for years, you know they were almost unbeatable in December. that set up so many AFC championship games at home. You know, the chiefs close out seasons really well. That was setting up AFC championship games at home. If you are good in the in the last four weeks of the season when things get cold and you have to play defense and you have to be able to run the ball, those are the teams that tend to go all the way. The bills, at least for now look like they're going to be one of those dominant December teams which is what matters. So overall pretty exciting again, as I mentioned, 2021, but also a little bit depressing at the end.
1: A little bit. I think Bill's fans listening to this will, will take issue with our characterization of a little bit disappointing, <laughs> massively disappointing, uh, for that fan base that was prime for so much success and, and hadn't seen so much of it in the last month. And I love that you bring up the point about how they finished. They learned, um, the hard lessons for years in division. They watched the Patriots own everyone in December. Brady would just refuse to lose those games down the stretch. There was no such thing as, like, rest your starters. Nope, nope, keep the hammer down, take every game you can. And they learned those lessons well. Yes. <laughs> I haven't had lock of in a while. <laughs> <Just> Whack! <saying. laughs> no, it's all good. <laughs> It's uh, all good. It's like drinking
0: Fine. a fireplace. You love it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So if you don't want your hopes to go up in smoke in December, look at that
0: transition. Oh,
1: look at you. No, get good at this. You got to do this and they know how to do it. And they showed real tenacity. Not only was it a four and one streak, but four wins to close it in a row. That's strong. They're going to need that. They can't let up, um, their division rivals who we've been talking about all week have all improved, um, they're still the top of the heap. We'll talk about that as well. But they're going to need this kind of performance again. They're not going to be able to stretch out to a lead and relax uh, in the first half of the season. They're going to have to close strong. And I think mentally they know how to do that now. And it's just staying the course.
0: Looking at the, uh, the power structure at the top, I think part of the reasons, one of the big reasons why they've been so good late in the season is because they have a very experienced staff. It's been together for a long time. Experienced front office that's been with this staff for a long time. The, the kind of core components here, other than Brian Dable, who just left, um, probably a year after maybe he should have, but you know, they, got, they got one more year of Brian Dable maybe than we expected. But uh, other than his departure, Brandon Bean, been there for six years. Sean McDermott, been there for six years. Phenomenal GM, like top five GM in the league inarguably. Phenomenal coach, top-tier coach, not just in the AFC, but in the NFL, period. Them being together for so long, again, speaks volumes to how they're able to, you know, keep it together when they're going into December at 7-6, and six, and they have a legit shot to, you know, maybe get up to like a a 1 or a 2 seed, or they could completely fall out of the playoffs. It can go either direction there, and they rallied and, again, finished super strong and, and were one of the best teams in the entire league by the end of— December because of those core structures in place Uh, Leslie Frazier been there forever now year six at DC third year as assistant head coach Uh, Ken Dorsey he is first year in terms of offensive coordinator but he's been there for four years and before that he was one of the better um, quarterbacks coaches in the league down in Carolina where Cam Newton won an MVP under him when he was a A quarterbacks coach in Carolina, and he was instrumental in the development of Josh Allen as well. So Ken Dorsey, them retaining him to be offensive coordinator, I think was was a coup for them. Uh, And then Matthew Smiley as well on special teams, year six. So the core of this group, the power structure, at minimum has been here for four years in this town, and most of them have been here for six years. That is remarkable stability especially when you see some programs like, say, the Rams that get poached every other year. They've been able to keep these guys together and in a groove, and I think that speaks volumes to how they've been able to kind of weather these storms, and even when they're kind of on shaky ground in the middle of the season, they can recover and and all of a sudden be completely dominant by year's end.
1: Cohesiveness is a big part of that. Again, they thought they were going to lose Dable. We all thought Dable was going to get a head coaching spot after last season, right? And went through his head coaching interviews. One reason or another, those jobs didn't work out and he comes back completely unexpectedly, um, much like their rival in Kansas City, right? Eric Bieniemy has been on the head coaching tour now for a good solid three years. And every year it's like, nah, he's gonna get a job this year. He's gonna get a job. So Dable hangs around, ends up going downstate. Gets the Giants job this year, but Dorsey's been working with him as, you know, right-hand man for four years. Understands the quarterback. We'll have to see how the play calling works because that was one of Dable's great strengths. But overall, this group at the top is not one to panic. Uh, They set the course very stringently at the top, and it's one of the reasons they've been successful. That uh, mind meld between Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott they came in sat down said what are we going to do and bill's fans will remember the first couple of years weren't great right there's a lot of moves they had to make to get on that course and they said nope hang on we got it stay the course (laughs) people had to have faith and then the plan started to come together with the players that they were bringing in the culture that they were building and since then they've been rolling but that is a very strong foundation that the entire rest of the building can rally around and say nope, the, the folks at the top have a strong vision. it is unified, it's not coach over here and GM over here and sniping. It's nope, this is what we do as the bills. And that set the strong foundation for this team to be the resilient competitor that it is now and should be for some time going
0: into the future. Just one thing, really quick, a big reason why we can afford to make 40 episodes in this team summer preview series and roll out a new show every day is because of our partners like Babbel. Babbel is a language learning app for people like me that really want to become functional speakers of German, for instance, for hopefully an upcoming trip to see an NFL game in Munich, but who also don't really have a whole lot of time to learn German. Or even not just German, but up to 14 different languages, really, including Spanish, French, and Italian, too. Babbel lessons have been created by over a 100 different linguistics experts and are scientifically proven to be effective, and perhaps most importantly of all, they do have speech recognition technology in order to help improve pronunciation and accent. Because at least for me, if I'm going to be running around Munich shouting Sie English at everybody I see just to get directions, I at least want to sound sort of like I know what I'm doing. Babbel also gives you access to podcasts, games, videos, stories, and even live classes Plus it comes with a 20 day money back guarantee. So if you yourself are interested in learning a second or even third language right now, you can get a three month subscription of Babbel at the link in the description below, and you will get an additional three months for free on top of that. That is six months of Babbel language lessons for the price of three. Again, at the link in the description below that is babbel.com promo code bootleg. Once again, babbel.com promo code bootleg. And with that, let's get back to the show. Not to mention, if you have, historically speaking, stable GM, stable head coach, stable quarterback situation, everything else, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, <laughs> but boy, it matters a hell of a lot less. Yep. Those are the three things you need. Front office, coaching staff, freak show quarterback. <laughs> you can fill in the rest and be okay. Uh, in terms of notable coaches on this staff, by the way, kind of a stark contrast to some other teams, even this, uh, within this division, that maybe you know keep things smaller, closer to the vest, more familial, <laughs> literally. Uh, especially when looking at New England, there's a lot of coaches in Buffalo. A lot. Their staff has got to be one of the biggest in the league. The overall number is in stark contrast
1: to the rivals with the Patriots. Right? Patriots' number is one of the smallest overall in the NFL. Bill's number has to be one of the largest overall number of total coaches they have on the staff in terms of notable coaches starts off with Aaron Cromer offensive line coach, Aaron Cromer. I put former and just left it because he's been seemingly everywhere. He was with the bears. He was out West. He came back very experienced offensive line coach, tons of stops, worked with many great players that's that's the kind of experience that they have on the staff. Mike Shula is a senior offensive assistant, rather vague title for a guy that was the former offensive coordinator of the Bucks and the head coach at Alabama. You know, comes from a football family, obviously, has been around the game his entire life. He's just an assistant. So you know, McDermott can assign him to solve any particular problem that they're facing, whether it's division, whether it's the next week's opponent tendencies whatever and have a guy with a tremendous amount of experience as a sounding board to just go get right that dog Mm -hmm. will hunt go solve um that's a luxury that's what you get when you have that many coaches on a staff rob boris the tight end coach 18 years of nfl coaching experience bills rams jags and bears look up rob boris everywhere he goes the tight ends have career years is Mm -hmm. one of the best at doing just what he does being a tight end coach Um, one of the reasons i'm extremely excited about their addition of oj howard because oj howard has sort of underperformed since being drafted to alabama being in that very crowded room in tampa bay and when he i actually said hey i think the bills should go get him the bills did go get him after that and knowing that he's landed with boris everybody's like well dawson knox right dawson knox was not a a highly heralded prospect coming out had a career year last year. It's not a mistake. Rob Red Boris. zone
0: monster. Dawson yeah. Knox.
1: Yeah. Rob Boris is very good at his craft. So I'm super excited as an OJ Howard fan to see how that develops. Uh, Joe Brady, a name that many NFL fans will remember former Panthers, OC former, um, offensive coordinator at LSU. He's the quarterback's coach. He takes over Ken Dorsey's job. So, Again, the rich getting richer, getting a guy that's had the job up from that and, you know, bringing him back to what he's very good at and made his mark in coaching at, um, gets to work with, you know, it's kind of a great gig, right? Hey, you want (laughs) to come work with Josh Allen? We already, we already got him to a really good place. You just want to keep that going? Yeah, I would love to, to help him keep going and hit the next level. Um, Ryan Wendell assistant offensive line coach is a former NFL offensive lineman Pats and Panthers and Chad Hall wide receiver former NFL wide receiver with the Eagle the 49ers and the Chiefs he is their wide receivers coach in Buffalo so he's a very talented group that we're going to be talking about Um, that's just the offensive side of the ball that's just the notable coaches not all coaches just the notable coaches on the offensive side of the ball Uh, on defense shorter list but you know no less qualified kyle schumer is defensive quality control so former nfl qb himself and son of longtime nfl coach pat schirmer so mm-hmm. um didn't didn't get out of playing football very long ago went back to vanderbilt spent a year as an offensive assistant there and now he's back well back in the nfl this time as a coach and then bobby babich is his name that caught my eye and i thought is that And sure enough, Bobby Babich, the linebackers coach, again, a very talented group for the Bills, is the son of longtime NFL coach Bob Babich who has coached linebackers in the NFL for the last 20 years, including when the bears last went to the Super bowl in 06 and it was Briggs and Erlacher and Hunter Hillenmeyer and all those guys. That was a Bob Babbitt unit. Uh, so Bobby, his son is the linebackers coach for the bills. So as we've talked about before, familial connections, staff connections, where folks went to college all play in, but this that's just the notable coaches. There's, easily that many again that you might not know the names of that all have their specific roles it is a large and talented coaching staff in buffalo
0: Shermer, specifically by the way was was on a roster as recently as last year with washington you know didn't play obviously but you know got uh undrafted with the chiefs for a year was with the bengals uh practice squad um, then went back to Vanderbilt as a volunteer, picked up a job with Washington. and then I, I think it you know, at some point last season it was like, okay, the playing part, you know, ain't gonna work. Let's just go the coaching route from here, picked up a job immediately with, with defensive QC, which for a guy who a was a quarterback but was a quarterback <laughs> last year to immediately yeah. be defensive QC. That tells me, in particular, His role on this coaching staff is going to be the defensive coaches installing something or going over something for that week and going to Kyle and say, if you're under center or if you're in the gun, how are you looking at this? How are you processing this? Where are your eyes going? And I think it's going to be a a very similar thing to – not to use the Patriots too much as an example, but I think it's going to be a very similar thing to how the Patriots teach their quarterbacks, where they teach them from a defensive perspective. Tom Brady, for a long time, has credited Belichick with being more instrumental in his development than any offensive coach because Bill would literally sit with him every single week and go over the defense that he was going against and you know how things are taught and, and you know where a DB's eyes are supposed to be to basically teach Tom defense first so that he can play offense from a defensive perspective. I think Kyle Shermer is going to be filling a similar role for this coaching staff is coaching defense from an offensive perspective of, Hey, you're son of a coach been around the game forever. You have a quarterback mindset. How are you looking at this so that we know how can we beat you? So I love that addition just from that. Cause that's going to be his role. I think as he kind of grows as a coach over time. Um, Very, very valuable thing to have. Uh, Also, I'm kind of expanding on the defensive staff here. I'm really curious to see how they generate pressure this year, (laughs) because they they have kind of reduced their blitz rate each of the last few years. You know, for a while there, they were like over 30% blitz rate, especially like 2019, 2020. And then dropped last year down to about 26%, slightly above average. I'm talking barely above average blitz rate. And it seems to me like they really found their groove when it was, hey, we're playing quarters or rotating down, you know, to, to either cover three strong rotation or cover three weak rotation, you know, very zone heavy or, you know, match zone heavy, I guess would be the more accurate terminology and we're going to rush with four. And if, if we're blitzing, it's we're blitzing for a reason. And that seemed to work better for them than the higher blitz rates they had in the past. And I think looking at their coaching staff and looking at some of the moves they made in terms of roster construction that we're going to go over in just a second, I think they might actually blitz less this year than they did last year because now they have the horses to do it.
1: Their front four is really strong. Uh, I want to talk about this defense overall because obviously a lot of the offseason focus, especially with Dable moving on, is gonna be about the offense. Can they maintain? Can they their offense has been a hallmark. Their defense has been good, um, great in certain places, but their overall defense has been good, but their offense has been adaptable it's one of the greatest strengths Dable had was bringing a different game plan that could really flex and hurt opponents in creative ways we'll see if dorsey can continue that but i don't want the this defense this version because every every version every year is is a different team in terms of there's so much turnover losses additions coaching and player alike this lineup for the bills this defensive lineup for the bills is scary looking (laughs) like on paper they're front four which is where you were starting you've got greg Rousseau, who i think exceeded most expectations as a rookie as an athletic freak out of miami ed oliver daquan jones as a pickup in free agency who we really like and then von miller um one of the all time <laughs> Yeah, one of the all time greats. We don't need yeah. to go into Von Miller's bona fides. He's, he's good to go. That front four is really talented. And then you stack behind that guys like, you know, their second round pick in AJ Epinesa and Tim Settle, who we really like as a rotational guy. They get Jordan Phillips back. They got Boogie Basham as a pass rusher uh, backing up Russo. Like they're legitimately eight deep in the front four. That's. Ugly to start with. Now, usually a team that had that much firepower up front would have layers behind that where there were some players that were replacement value, whatever else. No, you go to their middle linebackers and you've got, you know, one of our favorites in Matt Milano, who they re-signed for big money, and Tremaine Edmonds, who is an athletic freak that gives you a ton of flexibility there. Okay, great. Their secondary has to suck, right? (laughs) Nope. Nope. They got Jordan Poyer. Yeah, it's great. Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, probably the best safety tandem going right now in the NFL. Trey White, who I love as a corner and fits the system to a T, coming back, hopefully, fully healthy right off the gun. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, well, it must be that other corner, right? Must be the off corner that sucks. Well, That's their first round draft pick this year. Get a very highly rated guy out of Florida. We'll talk about him in the draft picks. And, you know, okay, well, everybody starts in nickel. Nickel's base. Their nickel's got to be where they're hiding that (laughs) junk player, right? No, in our unheralded player episode, we talked about Teron Johnson being, you know, highly. Five
0: nickel easily.
1: Highly underrated. So top to bottom, This defense is on paper, and they have to translate that to the field. I fully understand it. A lot of change. In terms of talent, this defense is as good as it's been in Buffalo in easily the last three or four years. This defense has greater potential than those defenses, which were good and impactful, not matching the offensive firepower. Maybe earlier it was the defense had had a little bit more emphasis or bias. Certainly in the last couple of years, the offense has started to take off and really click, and the defense has just sort of kept up. This defense has enough firepower that it almost matches the offense with, again, one of the top three or four quarterbacks in the league running it.
0: Like, this is a scary team on paper. They're good on good during camp. I, I would fly to Buffalo just to see that. Because you're literally watching a top three offense in the league go against a top three defense in the league every day in practice. Like, how can you not enter the season completely ready to go when the guys you're playing against, you know, Tuesday through Thursday to get ready for the game are probably better than the ones you're going to play against on Sunday? It's like Bama. (laughs) Like that's literally what it's like. It's like your your practices, at least on some occasions, might be harder than the games. So it's God, they're. Their roster construction is just ridiculous. And I I do want to go over a lot of the the free agency uh, losses and kind of additions all, all at once because I want to illustrate how they were able to stock this cupboard, especially on the defensive side of the ball.
1: Man, that sunset is gorgeous.
0: Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you.
1: I could stay here forever.
0: Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Because they lost a lot of guys. I use the term lost loosely. Uh, It was really more like, you know, take one step back, two steps forward when you look at who they replaced them with. But, you know, there were seven interior defensive linemen and edges who, uh, who played significant snaps for them that are no longer there compared to this year. Star Lutelele is gone. Justin Zimmer only by 15% of the snaps, but still rotational guy. He's gone. Uh, Vernon Butler's gone. Mario Addison's gone. Jerry Hughes, you know, long time, great bill fan favorite um, still was productive for them by the way, but he's gone now. Harrison Phillips is out of the building like that's a lot of defensive line snaps that are no longer there but as we've alluded to before they replaced them with arguably even better talent just kind of skipping forward a little bit just to the defensive line additions they again brought back jordan phillips um they got daquan jones who i think is an upgrade over over starlo to lele if we're talking about okay who's just a big hog we can put it one technique like daquan's Better than anybody they had, whether it was Starr, Verna Butler, any of those guys. Daquan's better. Um, and then Von Miller, better edge than Jerry Hughes at this point. Or really at any point, Von Miller is Von Miller. It's really remarkable how this was an elite defense last year with one of the more productive pass rushes in the league in terms of pressure rate. And now they're better. Like, it's just insane. My
1: favorite thing about Von Miller coming to the Bills is his appreciation of what his role is on the Bills, and he didn't have to be signed to be the guy. At mm-hmm. this point in his career, there's a lot of times that you know veteran players um, who've played in the league for a long time get starting to get long in the tooth come in and everybody's like oh they're just gonna be the same as they were five seven years ago like von miller's not gonna be the same as he was five or seven years ago still really good still really effective but he embraced that he's like this is a team that if you're saying oh they're one piece away like this is that team, a piece or a few pieces, I can just be this piece. He said, I don't have to be the guy. I don't have to be the superstar. I don't have to come in and be Von Miller of old. I can come in and be the Von Miller I am right now, help them out a little bit. And that'll be plenty. They got it. That's what they said, what he said when they were talking to him, um, when he came to town. And that to me is great. That is a front office being very objective about the player they're getting and the role they're getting him for. And that just fits. He can fit in and not have to try and, you know, stand out when he doesn't need to. He can just come in and be the, you know, the fourth rush option, the fifth rush option. Sometimes they can keep him fresh with all those guys they have behind him and, you know, save him for December if they want to a little bit. And that will be fine. They'll still be tremendously effective playing that way. They're not going to have to be like, well, Vaughn, look, we need, you know, ideally <laughs> we don't need 800 snaps from you. That's not what we're looking for at this point. We want, you know, 450 really good ones or 500 really good ones. That's what we want. And he can provide that at this point in his career.
0: Also, people were looking at the the six-year deal number and they're like, oh my God, you're signing somebody that age to a six-year deal. It's not a six-year deal. It's basically a three-year deal, if we're being honest. And I would bet that it will end up being a three-year deal because this is the window. You know, sure. After three years, if I recall correctly, is when the Josh Allen contract starts to get like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, so, like, <laughs> they're tear. taking advantage of it. Yeah, so they're taking advantage of it while they can. And, you know, why not? Like, if you have a chance to go get a ring, go get a ring. Um, looking at the other free agency slash trade slash cuts really just roster losses in general um emmanuel sanders did play a a really really large percentage of snaps for them last year he's no longer in the building which for a 35 year old receiver in a receiving core that is also extremely deep not super surprising want to get a little bit younger uh cole beasley again low to mid 30s on the age range they're trying to get a little bit younger Um, so he's no longer there um but they did replace them I use the term "replace" loosely. Um, they did keep Isaiah McKenzie there for only $2.2 million, which he's six years younger than Cole Beasley and also faster and also more explosive. And they did pick up Jameson Crowder in terms of third-party additions. Again, four years younger than Cole Beasley, quicker, more explosive at this point. I, I think that the moves that they made, especially considering Crowder, is also $2 million the moves they made to get younger and cheaper receiver while still arguably being more explosive. One, I'm trying not to say low key. We've been told that we say low key too much, but low key. Uh, one of the most savvy Ugh. things that, that Bean has done. I think this off season is, is recognizing like, Hey, the wide receiver market is absolutely out of control. We'll give Stefan Diggs 24 million a year, because again, we're in the window. We can't afford to lose him. We can't pay anybody else. Davis. Uh, Gabe Davis is still dirt cheap, but like we're not we're not gonna be re-upping Emmanuel Sanders, we're not gonna be re-upping Cole Beasley, like let's do Jameson Crowder and Isaiah McKenzie for a combined four point two million dollars, give Diggs twenty-four million, and then roll with a bunch of other cheap dudes. That allowed them to do all of this retooling on defense in the first place. And again, just kind of goes to show like when a GM is like truly in his bag and understands positional value and kind of where where to fill in the gaps around the stars. Phenomenal job by him because the, the receiving core is still great. And it's also not even that expensive. Yeah, I love that he went in division for
1: Crowder and grabbed a guy who they've watched for years now as he's played with the Jets and gone. Um, that guy could benefit from playing with a really good quarterback. We think we can get more out of him than the Jets got out of him we've got a role and he's not going to be terribly expensive because of that, because he hasn't really ascended ice, but he still put up numbers and was still productive. We were talking about this pre-show that Crowder, I think is one of those people that he is a player that is, he's going to open people's eyes as he gets into that offense. Again, he doesn't have to be, he's the fourth option. He's the legitimate fourth throwing option in that offense. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't have to stand out and and win all the time and whatever else. But when they throw the ball, he can win on the routes that he needs to run as a third or fourth receiver and be very productive. And again, that's not a huge step down from uh, someone they had in that role last year that was also very productive uh, for two million (laughs) bucks. Right. That's that's a great get looking around and saying, oh, we know that guy like we can do better with him than than our rivals did. Let's do that
0: also at this point i at this stage in his career crowder is also probably thinking like okay if i'm if i have a if i if i have an offer for more money somewhere else but i have a chance like an actual great chance to go get a ring in buffalo it's kind of hard to turn that down you know if i'm a 29 year old receiver who's who's got a cha- uh, got a got a real shot to get a ring you know in the later stages of my career ah. I, I don't know if I could say no to that, especially like playing with Josh Allen, like your stats are gonna be so good. like, yeah, you'll probably get a better deal down the line anyway
1: and he knows the division too i mean this goes both ways Jameson crowder knows all the corners in the division knows all the coaches in the division he's Mm -hmm. played against them his entire career so yes he moves teams and he has to learn the new offense and everything else but he he knows all the defenders he's going against he knows all the tendencies so uh great move on both parts and the other place where they dropped a bunch of cash was mitch morse Mm-hmm. Right, They said, nope, we're not letting our center go. We've talked about this before on previous episodes in the Divisional Preview Series. Typically, if you're going to prioritize an interior offensive lineman, if you like your center even a little bit, it's the center. You're going to keep your center and surround him with some rotational replaceable guards, which is exactly what they did. Their top three guards on the roster uh, around Mitch Morse come in for a combined total of $7 bucks
0: between the three of them. Which is what, like 40% of the cost of what the Jags paid for Scherf, I think, oh, around there? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's 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 very
1: wee, let's put it that way. Uh, and they're getting good players. It's not like they're trying to hide those players, but again, they went for value. They said, no, our money, nine, almost $10 million bucks, is going to Mitch Morse because, again, he calls the protections. Josh is comfortable with him. We're not upsetting that apple cart but in order to do that we can't go out and get a brandon sheriff and put him next to him so we've got to get some other players they keep ryan bates ryan bates was on an offer sheet the bears wanted him badly i wanted him badly for the bears he would be starting for the bears he would be their starting right guard right now um uh, buffalo matched let some other folks out of the building Um, Brian Bates is going to be in their starting lineup. So just another sort of priority and creative use of where does that money need to go for greatest impact? Nope, we're keeping our center that our all-world quarterback loves, and we're going to get some guards to make it work.
0: And they also kind of added to that as well in in third-party additions from other teams. Um, Greg Van Roten from the Jets, they brought in to be a depth piece at guard. Roger Saffold, they brought in presumably to be the starter at left guard. I imagine Bates is going to be the starter at right guard. Um, Saffold can still really, really run block. Um, Pass protection, a little bit of an issue, not going to (laughs) lie. Little. A lot of bit of an issue, (laughs) if you're looking at Titans tape last year. uh, He gave up a lot of pressures, Um, but he's also had some really good years in pass protection too, so you never know. Could have been an injury, could have been you know, maybe they were asking him to do something that he really shouldn't have been doing uh, when it comes to scheme. I, 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 without me digging fully into, like, all of the pressures he gave up, it's tough to say. But I do know that in years past, watching Saffold and pass protection, he was very solid. So I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt on that one. But, yeah, it, it's something that Bills fans should be aware of. Like, hey, dude can still run block like a motherfucker. But uh, if you start seeing anything give up pressure on this offensive line, eh, might might be Saffold. Just going off statistics um, but I, I really do like the the retooling and reloading they've done along the offensive line keeping most of the interior together obviously you still have your book in tackles one of the better tackle duos in the league uh, if you look at the um, like the offensive metrics in terms of like yards per play and everything like that with and without Spencer Brown on the field it is <laughs> remarkable like the I don't want to say the offense fell apart without Spencer Brown but God damn damn, there was a big difference when he was not there. Uh, it, which is kind of interesting because he's a he's still a really young player. But they kind of threw him out there early in his career and just said, hey, you're 6'8 and a freak athlete. Go fight some people. And by God, he did. And it works. It works really, really well. So when Spencer Brown is on the field and, you know, Deion on the other side is rock solid too. One of the better tackle duos in the entire NFL. And I will die on that hill. The interior is still strong. As long as Saffold is improving in pass protection year over year compared to last year, uh, this overall offensive line-wise, again, not very expensive in the grand scheme of things, but very, very good.
1: They hope both of those tackles stay very healthy. Um, Spencer (laughs) especially.
0: Not great depth. Yeah,
1: Spencer Brown, the difference you alluded to, it's almost 50% greater average EPA with him on the field than with him off. That's that's a massive difference for one player, especially a tackle. Um, very effective. Uh, this, I don't want to say new mold, but um, current in vogue mold of NFL tackles for drafting really large, really athletic guys that are still figuring it out and pairing them with good offensive line coaches. We talked about Aaron Cromer and, you know, letting them figure it out quickly on the field. Colton Miller was that way. He was kind of, I don't want to say the first because it's a long line, but first of the sort of massive success stories in recent NFL. And we saw teams draft that way this year as well, right? We're going to go get a very large, very athletic guy and put him out there with a good offensive line coach and hope that he hits because if he does, it's a great value for us financially, but he's also going to be, um, you know, a, a rock solid piece that we're going to build our offensive line around. And the bills hit with Spencer Brown and they just, they just want him to stay out there and stay healthy because they got one, they found one, it worked. And they want him to to stay upright and, and keep Josh Allen upright.
0: Let me put it this way. Brown working that early is one of the big reasons why trevor penning got drafted in the first round because literally same school very similar athletic profiles Uh, Penning a little bit more athletic but brown is still like gigantic and also athletic um and it worked immediately and i think the saints were like yeah we could do that too we'll be fine just give us the big guy uh so overall man just top to bottom roster construction roster reloading again you're you're you're, you're trimming the fat along the defensive front and upgrading it. You're getting younger at receiver and also getting cheaper at receiver. You're losing a, you know a couple guys in terms of depth players in the offensive line, but also replacing and arguably upgrading in terms of overall offensive line depth. And if they stay healthy, they're amazing. Nothing got worse on the entire roster. Absolutely nothing. And that's before we even get to the draft.
1: Yeah, we just started with the free agents and, you know, existing players and free agents. It's already they could field a team. There were teams that if they didn't have their draft this year, they, they weren't fielding a team. They were drafting. That's that's drafting for need in the classic sense. Bills were drafting for what's what's the best thing that we can get. We don't need anything. And so we'll run through their draft class, sizable draft class, quite a few picks um, and run through them all. And then we'll really talk about sort of highlights, where we think they fit, and and sort of what piece they play. But again, they didn't need anybody. And that's a tremendous place to start as a GM. I can just go pick the best and be thinking about not just this year, but next year, and who's coming due for contracts and everything else. Brandon Bean clearly had that in mind, putting this class together. So
0: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive. And start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
1: First round, pick 23. They get Kair Elam, the cornerback I alluded to earlier out of Florida. Big guy, very physical Um It's going to presumably slot right in across from Tredavious White, be their other outside starter. In the second round, pick 63, they get James Cook, the running back from Georgia. Very, I'll say, 50-50 runner-receiver, right? Very modern running back. They wanted a little bit more pop in the passing game from the running back position. Cook gives them that. If you want to see how that works, go watch the Michigan game, Georgia versus Michigan. Mm -hmm. That's what they saw that he could do. That's what they wanted in their offense, and they went and got him. A little earlier than I would have done it, but I can absolutely see why they did it with that player. Round three, pick 89, Terrell Bernard, the linebacker from Baylor, is going to sit behind Milano and slightly undersized, very rangy, very fast. He's got two great ones to learn from. So Bobby Babich gets a new toy to play with. Again, clearly a backup. They're, they're talking about succession planning here, so they're hoping Terrell Bernard hits and when you know, they're not, both of their inside linebackers would be expensive. Terrell Bernard can replace one of them.
0: I don't uh, know if Matt Milano is ever going to be expensive. He just keeps taking discounts. That he doesn't need to like the the contract they got him for when they signed, it was like a year ago, I think at this point, like it, it was absurd even at the time. And it's even more absurd now.
1: Now it looks <laughs> like a, a vicious bargain uh, for Brandon Bean. So they skipped the fourth round pick. Fifth-round pick, number 148, this is one that I know we're going to come back to for you. Khalil Shakir, wide receiver, Boise State, is slot extraordinaire, very electric, tons of juice, special teams prowess as well. Very interesting running style. We actually watched him together when we were in Vegas. Uh, We did a little bit of scouting. He was headed to the Senior Bowl. We were at the Shrine Bowl. And, uh, you know, I don't want to say unique – I'm not sure any player is completely unique, but different and stood out. And you think he's got a big role in the future? We'll come back to that. And then finally, we get to talk about round six, pick 180, <laughs> punt God. We've we've been talking about Matt Ariza for a long time. San Diego State punter um, had really sort of kicked off the punter wars this year in the draft. Was was the name on a lot of people's lips early in the process? Uh, ends up with bills they let their punter go we didn't mention that um specifically in the losses but again you're you know you're down in the sixth round great place to get a punter with a huge leg kicking outdoors cold weather talk about those december you need the field position game matter is a weapon all they have to give up for him is a sixth rounder um they had three six-round picks in their second pick in the sixth round, 185. They get Christian Benford, the corner from Villanova. Last pick in the sixth round, 209. They get Luke Tenuda, the offensive tackle from Virginia Tech. And then round seven, guy we got to interview at the Shrine Bowl, uh, linebacker out of Clemson, Balin Spector. So lots of picks, lots of dev picks, uh, you know, picking the first, picking the second, picking the third, and then a whole bunch of picks in the fifth, sixth, and seventh. So really filling in depth, but you can still see all the way down to Spectre. You can look at that and say, mm, I know I know what they're going to do with him. And that's a sign of a team, again, with a plan where the coaching staff and the GM are in lockstep. Uh,
0: I'll, I'll kind of work backwards here. Spectre, even when I was doing my, my pre-draft content, over on the Film Room channel, one of the people I compared him to was Matt Milano, mm-hmm. you know, like a like a Walmart Matt Milano, but like it's it, it's a very similar like build and skill set and instinct. Like he called the defense, which is not an easy defense by the way under Venables. Like it's it, the, the more that I I understand the <laughs> Venables playbook, the more I'm like, wow, the, the, these people are batshit insane, like with how they call stuff. But <laughs> Specter did it. Like, he, he was the guy that, that ran the show there. Um, you know, really, really, really tough, hard-nosed player. Good instincts. Is he as fast as Bernard? Probably not. But I also think that he's really tough, really quick, surprisingly fluid. Um, just seems like a, a classic, you know, going to stick around on the roster as a backup linebacker and special teams demon for a very, very long time and carve out a nice career for himself. And God forbid... If somebody goes down, I think you can be okay with him as, as one of your starters for at least a couple games and, and be fine. Uh Luke Tenuta at offensive tackle, boy, they have a type, don't they? They absolutely like <laughs> they see a six eight number next to an offensive tackle and they're like, Mine, that's our guy. We need a giant tree. Yeah. Uh, he's very stiff compared <laughs> to all the other six eight tackles that they like, but uh, also, like not not as long. He's got um, the length of a tackle in terms of um, arm length of, of a tackle was like six three, but he's six eight. So it's kind of like a weird combination of like really tall, not super long, kind of stiff, still really strong. Has some good qualities to him, but I see him as a long term depth piece. To put it diplomatically, um, Benford I actually did not watch at all because I I never got to Villanova film. Uh, Ariza I had him. He was not my my top punter. Um, that was the kid in Tennessee now, uh, Stonehouse from Colorado State. But I do acknowledge he has an insane leg. And if they just get it under control in terms of location, he'll be really, really good for them. Khalil Shakir. This is the, the centerpiece of their draft, in my opinion. Which is weird, because people are like, a fifth-round receiver. How is that the centerpiece of the draft? I did a whole film room episode on it. If you look at you know, how Shakir's versatility in terms of you can line him up in the backfield, you can put him in the slot, you can put him outside, you can give him carries. Like, you can run power with this guy. He's not Debo, but he can do similar things to what Debo does. Like, I'm not going to give him 12 carries in a game like I would Debo, but if you want to do it five carries in a game, you can get away with that because he's a really tough runner, uh, really elusive, really explosive in short areas. Also, when he has the ball in his hands, the 4-3 is legit. If he's <laughs> running under a ball deep down the field, I don't think he's as fast. But once he has the ball, like like he is, like nobody's catching him. He is crazy fast when people are chasing him. It's kind of remarkable that way. But just looking at the versatility, obviously the special teams ability as well. He's a very effective return man, even though they didn't give him as many shots to be a returner at Boise State as I would have hoped for. Whenever he did it, he was really good at it i think that by the second half of the season considering that he probably will be a better returner than the other slot weapons that are on the team right now i think he's going to be edging for snaps the you know mckenzie and even crowder i think that he could edge some snaps off crowder too because he does things that those guys don't or at least don't do as well which is run the ball you know um run tough through contact in the screen game do all the return stuff like I think he's just a better option there so as the season goes on he's going to get more and more snaps he's going to get worked in more and more and I think long term he's the guy he's their next Gabe Davis of like day three receivers that nobody pays attention to until all of a sudden you know by the end of the second year they've got a three touchdown game on national television everybody's like oh here's pretty damn good well there you go
1: Nobody pays attention to Gabe Davis. I'm wounded.
0: They do now. I'm wounded.
1: I did. <laughs> I liked Gabe Davis, but I realize I'm weird in that capacity. Um, great class. The fact that they get Kyrie is, it feels so luxury to me. Like we needed one thing. And at pick 22, we got one that was sitting there that we really liked. that fit really well that a lot of people linked to us pre-draft. Like, good teams end up in those spots and it's not an accident they do all the other things to make sure that they're not sort of reaching and lurching and and throwing money around into bad contracts because they have to and you know sure enough somebody goes ah they're so lucky that happened and i'm like "Mm, are they though i don't really think that's lucky um
0: not uh, i totally forgot to bring this up about elon by the way did you see the video of his interview with them Before the draft, like his player interview. Oh my God. How do you not fall in love with him immediately? They probably decided they were going to draft him that day. Yeah. I wish that those things came out earlier because, again, we've talked
1: about the third third in the draft process, the piece we don't get to see. The first third is tape on the field, that's available to pretty much everybody. Second is workouts. Uh, whether that's combine pre-draft anything else that's released measurements all that stuff the the sort of fact stuff is this fast is this tall and then there's this wide we call it the third third but it's it's probably more than a third about are they coachable how's their mental state how do they process what have they learned how's their adaptability flexibility Um, You know, are they comfortable with learning or they want to get always get it right the first time? All that stuff about the makeup of an athlete that's so important and really key to their success because, look, we're talking about the NFL. They're all good athletes. But Kair came in with a completely prepared three ring binder, sat down with the coaches and was sort of saying, well, this is how I'd attack this. This is what I would do with this. Uh, Completely prepared for that particular interview. He made one for each team. (laughs) Right? A section in his binder for each team. The coaches are like, oh, dude, we, we want this dude. Like obviously he's physically good and whatever else. Uh, we don't get to see that until later. That came out after the draft. So we don't, you know, we get to judge off film and and testing, measurements, and maybe some things we hear, but it, those are those are of varying quality and, and tough to trust. So really where we're making our assessments when we're putting out our pre-draft list on Two thirds of the data Um, that came out. It was very clear why Buffalo was like, yep, our guy, he's there. We're picking him. He fits a need. Makes me think he's going to have success very quickly because he has all the physical skills. And with that sort of attitude and approach, that's key to a young athlete's success in any league. So looks like they got a really good one. Um, Hope that works out for them. But overall, the draft class fits in their slots, fits with their plan, which is very Buffalo at this point. And you couldn't always say that, but since Bean and McDermott have been there, this this draft was very Buffalo um, and that's not a bad thing. That's in no way a backhanded compliment. That's a straight-up compliment.
0: In terms of UDFAs, I I was uh, not going to lie, I was a little bit lukewarm on it. Um, the one I'm, I'm mostly intrigued with is is Jalen Weidemeyer, tight end from Texas A&M, who have you ever seen such like a stark contrast between the first time you watch somebody on tape? And then the last time you watch somebody on tape, like after the testing info comes out and the medical info comes out and all of a sudden, like you look at it in a new way and you're like, you know, maybe I should have got through like five more tight ends and done a comparison before (laughs) I started firing off tweets about Jalen Watermeyer is actually pretty good.
1: (laughs) It's not that I don't think, I think Jalen Watermeyer got some bad advice. And I, in terms of coming out? No, not in terms of coming out. He. So it's not the tale of two cities or two tight ends. It's a tale of season on season on season. So you look at his first season where he popped off at Texas A&M. He was rangy, definitely a receiving tight end, athletic, slightly undersized, uh, and had a bunch of pop plays for them, a little bit like Jeremy Rucker in terms of more flash plays than overall like production. Then next year he'd filled out a little bit, and the production came with it, and that's where all the hype came from. He was on a lot of preseason All America lists as the number one tight end. He was on, uh, you know, the number one tight end on a lot of pre-draft lists, and it was like this guy, he's got tools. Um, and then he comes out for the third season. Uh, where he was really in the public eye and he looked like a mini guard like somebody said to him bulk up and run block and then you'll be able to do it all and he took that very seriously he got a lot bigger and he didn't look as quick some guys can maintain speed Uh, he got to a weight where he was very powerful he was built like a square block and still a pretty good receiver but looked all of the whatever he ran, 4.75 or 4.78 or whatever it was, did not have the same pop and fluidity that he'd had in the previous two seasons and really looked like a different player because of it in the past game. And that's where opinions started to cool on him because blocking tight ends are useful and they do have roster spots. They do not get drafted up high and they do not get paid largely. So somebody said to him, this is what you need to do to be the popular kid uh with nfl teams and it it was wrong it was wrong-headed they should have just said keep doing what you're doing in that second season because that tape and i went back because i looked at the tape this year that we had and i thought man he he looks different like he just looks like a different guy altogether did i do am i misremembering the tape from the year before and I went back and you can tell in the first tape that you look at like he's 20 to 25 pounds lighter probably. Um, yeah listed weights very because well,
0: he, he was uh he was running glance routes from the slot right and looking like a receiver and you're like whoa yeah he looked like kind of Kyle Pitts light-ish
1: not quite as big not quite as long but that kind of explosion in the past game not not as freaky an athlete as Kyle Pitts but oh, more that close. role right and he looked that way physically and then you looked at him this last year it's just very stout and um looks stiff because of it and and not fast and so still made plays in the passing game if you dug through the tape this year he still made plays but he just didn't make as many plays as the year before and we talk about all the time that progression's not linear his his declined right he took a misstep now can he get back to and we've seen the bills do this before uh not with tight ends necessarily but with defensive linemen like Epinesa came in and was big and stout in college. And they went, Nope, we're going to trim you out and move you back, put you on the edge and make you a little bit rangier. I wonder as soon as it was announced that he was going to the bills as a UDFA, I was like, I wonder if they were like, Hey man, look, nice try. We appreciate it, but get back to the playing weight. You were second to last year in college, and we're going to put you behind Dawson Knox. And that's going to be awesome for free. And if they get that, out of a UDFA, that's, that's awesome. But Weidermeyer was one of the more conflicting studies out of this year. The only other player, Brandon Bean is not, um, I'd say he's in the middle. He, he doesn't really embrace the UDFA process. They, they sort of pick and choose. They select their shots. And the only other guy on their list that really sort of caught my eye was Kingsley Jonathan. That's because I'm a Syracuse fan uh, and Edge from Syracuse, the other Edge from Syracuse this year, um, who had some production again earlier in his career and didn't have a great last season. So it's it's mining for diamonds, right? It's it's sifting through stuff that didn't look quite as good this year as it did the years before and say, hey, can we get him back to that? Can we can we, you know, take the things out of that that made him good in the first place?
0: Um, also, Raheem Blackshear is also another one I want to bring up. Um, the The running back out of Virginia Tech. Uh, not that I think he's going to even get significant snaps for them because their their running back group at this point, I I think is actually pretty good um, and also yeah. very explosive, very versatile. But he was a guy who just kind of hung around in college for a while, but had a had a whole lot of explosive plays for VT. He was the guy after uh, Herbert. You know, he mm-hmm. he was not the same as Herbert, obviously, for VT, <laughs> but he was, like, the next guy. Like, oh, here's the new transfer that's going to be, yeah. you know, our new kind of um, explosive threat. And he absolutely was. Like, he he picked up a whole lot of chunk yardage, was decently effective uh, in the red zone for an under 200-pound back that's not necessarily going to smash you. Um, but I think as a, as a third or fourth running back, got a legit shot to, to at least make the roster, maybe not, get a whole lot of playing time, but at least make the roster. So yeah, the thing about that
1: is him. right now, I like Raheem Blackshear as a player right now. He's RB six.
0: Cause let's see, they have a uh, Singletary. I'm just kind of pulling up the jet chart yep. right now. Off the top of my head, Singletary and cook are the one and two, not even close. Uh-huh. Uh, they still have Moss. Uh-huh. Uh, Taiwan Jones is, is automatically on the roster just for special teams. Uh-huh. So he's fighting it out with Duke Johnson. And I think he, he he's got a shot to beat Duke. He, he, he does. It's not a great running back shot, but it's a shot
1: five, right? Most teams are not going to carry a running back five unless he has strong special teams value, and you could say that's Taiwan Jones. So Blackshear would be four, but still, running back four better have some special teams chops, or he's going to end up on the practice squad, which again is no great loss for UDFA. In fact, it's a victory if you can put a player on your practice squad that you can use with a lot more flexibility this year because of the practice squad rules being expanded so you can go up
0: and down between the practice squad and the active roster, even more massive value. How often do you think people listen to our, our podcast and go, why are we talking about uh, a rookie UDFA running back five at best an hour into <laughs> an hour? into cause,
1: the podcast. Cause we're us at this point, they probably <laughs> have the idea that this is what they're going to get. The beatings yeah. will continue until morale improves. Um, but yeah, somebody posted a comment on Twitter today about 45 plus minutes. And I was like, 45, that'd be really short. 45 plus minutes, an episode per team? Uh, you know, Brett and EJ continue to be different. And I was like, mm, most people call us special. Uh, <laughs> but yes, no, this is, uh, this is what we do. And, you know, this is why, look, uh, folks that make their living betting on sports love this. Because if... For some reason the Bills get three running back injuries and suddenly Raheem Blackshear's getting a spot start. They know who he is already. They don't have to go look it up.
0: Final segment of this show, team floor, team ceiling. You and I I think are in pretty pretty decent agreement here in terms of the wind ceiling and the wind floor. You and I both have them. As a floor of nine wins, and that floor basically requires some sort of injury to Josh Allen. That's the only way I think they even get there. It, it's too good of a team, too good of a coaching staff, too good of a, a command structure, too good of a quarterback to not win double-digit games, even in the AFC, which is loaded. Unless Josh Allen somehow, God forbid, knock on wood, gets hurt. The ceiling? 12, 13, 13. However, like it doesn't really matter. Like Once you get up into that upper stratosphere, we're basically saying, yeah, the ceiling is first seed. They're hosting all the playoff games. They're going to the Super Bowl, and they're winning it. It's really just a question of how healthy are they? Because they're going to be good in December, because they're usually good in December. They're going to be a dominant offense. They're going to be a dominant defense. The question is, how healthy are they? Which, um, if you guys listen to Rockpile Report, which is a great Bills podcast, we're friends with them. Uh, they've talked before about the investment that the Bagulas have made into um, their like athletic staff and yeah. their training center and everything like the the bill's injury rate is actually like shockingly low compared to most of the rest of the league because of their program, like their their sports science program. They put a ton of money into it. And as long as that holds true and this team stays healthy, yeah, we're looking at twelve, thirteen wins, even in a loaded AFC and they're hosting the playoffs and they're and they're making a run here like the the ceiling is technically speaking non-existent because they could they could win the Super Bowl this year and they could win it going away that's how talented they are
1: yeah two things if the aliens come and take Josh Allen back it's 9 <laughs> wins and the other is i we keep saying the AFC is loaded The AFC is loaded because the Bills are in it. Like, they're the loaded. Like, we keep just saying, like, oh, these boogeymen are in the AFC. These are the boogeymen from the AFC. Like, this is one of the two or three teams we're talking about right at the very top. This is not like, oh, yeah, they're good. And with the right breaks, they could compete. No, these are the folks that are going to be making the breaks. These are the folks that it's going to be very tough to take wins off of on any week, home or away. This is the loaded in the AFC we're talking about. That's the Bills.
0: They are the ones who knock.
1: That's right.
0: (laughs) As long as they don't play the Jags, they'll be fine for whatever reason. You had to, didn't you? You just had to.
1: Couldn't get get all the way through it without doing that.
0: Hey, man, you can't lose to the Jags and not have me roast you. It's not allowed. Uh, Man, yeah, hell of a team, hell of a program. They're it, man. Like If we're looking at an AFC Championship game of... You know, maybe Buffalo, Kansas City, again. God, I would love that rematch. Um, the Colts are in it. Pretty much the entire AFC West is in it, if we're being realistic. Like Baltimore, uh, Cincinnati, name your name your shot. But I think regardless of who you're picking to represent the AFC in the AFC Championship game, most people are It's like, oh, it's going to be Cincinnati and Buffalo, KC, and Buffalo Chargers and Buffalo Denver and Buffalo everybody's at least in agreement like Buffalo's gonna be there it's just a question of who they're playing or maybe even who they're hosting in the AFC championship game but uh, I can't wait to see it play out uh, I'm hoping to see this team live in an action week one down here in LA um, trying to make that happen at least because that's going to be one of the games of the year and also the first game of the year and then uh, I'll be I'll be in Austin a couple of days after that for Bama UT. So it's gonna be a gonna be a little bit of a whirlwind week for me if I can make all that happen. Um, thank you all for listening. Thank you for watching. Remember we're doing our full kind of macro review of the AFC East tomorrow, where we're looking at you know offense player of the year, rookie of the year, coach of the year within the division, all that kind of stuff. So if you're interested in that, check that out. Uh, if you're interested in the other team previews for this division especially if you're a Bills fan, you want to get to know the teams that you're about to uh, kick the shit out of for the next few months. Go check those out, and uh, we keep on rolling, EJ, Any last words before we move on?
1: No, happy to get this one in the can. This is uh, There's a few you mark off when we're doing a series that covers the entire NFL. Like, oh, yeah, that one's going to be easy. That's going to roll. And this was one of those looking forward to seeing this team perform expectations are high and they should be. It's an excellent team. So want to see them play out if we're lucky enough. We'll get to see them in person this year. Um, be great. If that was in Buffalo, we've been talking to the rock pile report guys for a while about that. I'm not sure we're going to make it happen this year, but if we do, uh, we'll certainly let all the faithful know that we're going to, we're going to be showing up because we'll be, we'll be back in the home folks.
0: Yeah. Take me to that bagel you used to work at. Cause only had new york bagels once in my life and god they do it different there man it's, Words don't it's do it justice. not the
1: same thing anybody that's that's had a real a real bagel from the east coast generally looks for them for the rest of their life if they don't live there <laughs> uh, but we can make that happen but gonna be a great team i think it's gonna be a very good
0: season in western new york all right we'll see you all back here same time tomorrow same place to talk about the afc east as a whole and then we are moving on to the nfc east so See you all tomorrow, and until then, later. Take care.